politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to guard the lives of our babies to prevent the next biblical outbreak of Malok that is being perpetrated by our government and medical class. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house today to discuss this and more on this fine Wednesday, April 6th. And that is the date of the birth of my youngest daughter two years ago. At the height of the panic, the lockdown took her to the hospital. It was actually before they had the satanic mass mandate. It was starting that day. And, you know, I walked in, and no one no one said anything to me. I actually asked for a mask, because I thought that's what you're supposed to do. And I'm like, okay, we'll get you one. That's back when people were human. And I said to myself at the time, I was like, wow, you know, I'm glad she's born now. By the time she turns two, you know, this will be over with. And I can't believe it that this, she's like a baby. She's really small, that angelic face. If I were to bring her on a plane today... I couldn't, my brain couldn't even imagine doing that, how that would even work. It would have to be covered. And now, they're they're a few weeks away from pushing the clot shots on kids that age. The FDA advisory committee is meeting today about boosters. Another booster, because the previous booster didn't boost. So you need another booster of immune suppression. And... That's why I just can't get off this issue. I don't know what to talk about. You know, we could we could go into the inflation, the war on our energy, our food, our dollar, the border, crime. It's all crazy. I have stories about all this. We're going to cover it. The election fraud, I want to do a show hopefully within the next week on someone covering that uh, carefully. But at the end of the day, this is the single biggest problem. It's not just a matter of they're working on more. We've lost our freedoms. We need to immunize ourselves from this happening again. It's already, it, I mean, it's still happening. They are still forcibly doing this. And the most important issue of life, liberty, and property, even before the liberty, is life. And we need an effort to properly identify the magnitude and scope of the different syndromes and illnesses this thing creates, how to detect it and diagnose it, and then how to treat it. That is really the most important issue. If I had to boil it down to the single most important issue, this is not even saving the country. This is saving lives. Then we can get to saving the country and liberty and the border. So we're going to have a, a guest on who's in the front lines fighting um, vaccine illness and how to treat COVID as well. Uh, Dr. Leva Lee, a little bit later coming up to discuss this and more. Our first sponsor today, I give you a 2020 political vision. Better spectacles, they give you real 2020 vision in your eyes. A lot of people are unhappy with their progressive glasses. Have you been told to go home and get used to progressives? Well, not me. I use Rodenstock glasses from Better Spectacles now. Rodenstock scientists use biometric research to measure the eye in over 7,000 points. They've taken the findings from over 1 million patients, combined it with artificial intelligence. The result, biometric intelligence glasses, or BIG, which gives you a seamlessly natural experience 
works perfectly with your brain and the sharpest vision at all distances. That's what I've really noticed with my glasses. My wife's is the same. You could see up to 40% better. Um, and I'm telling you, nobody who gets them won't recommend them to you. So go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative now to schedule a teleoptical appointment. You don't even have to leave your home. Don't settle with your eyesight. Go big with the biometrical intelligence glasses from Better Spectacles. They're offering an introductory 61% off their eyewear plus free handcrafted rodenstock frames. BetterSpectacles.com slash conservative. That's BetterSpectacles.com slash conservative. Never throw away your glasses again. Okay, folks. So there's a lot going on. You know, one of the things a listener told me last night, I heard through Dr. Eric Henson, who was contacted by a listener, they have a case now of Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, from the shot. And I was like, oh my gosh, I never heard of that. And... I ran the numbers in theirs. There are 72 reports in theirs that were that people felt they were able to trace back. Remember, about 80% of the entries are put in by medical professionals. So this notion that it's just like anyone, you know, there are some, but not many. It's mainly medical professionals. 72 doesn't sound like a lot, but for something like Lou Gehrig's, that's a big deal. That is a lot. This is crazy. There's almost nothing this thing doesn't cause. There's almost nothing it doesn't cause. And then you have the heart ailments. You know, um, this guy, Naked Emperor, that's what he goes by on Substack, he did an analysis of Scotland's um, heart, you know, cardiovascular cases. They track cardiovascular cases. And he notes that it right around, again, that date, June 2021, it started going up. June 2021. 30, 40% higher as you went through the summer. And then by December 2021, it peaked at 55% higher than average. And even in February, it was still coasting at 50% which is bizarre because you know there haven't been too many youngsters getting shots young males getting shots so again this is like we're talking about this is the long term effects we're seeing but he did a really nice job showing age stratified gender it's more in males and time wise it doesn't make sense that it's coming from covid why would it not start until then you had a huge winter wave of COVID. You know, December 2020, January 2021. If COVID is, is primarily driving that, you would have seen it then. But it's the 15 to 44-year-old cohort, much more in males, and right around the time of the take-up of those people. Okay. As he notes, if it was COVID, then why did the big increases not happen until 2021? Um, why did it not affect other age groups? Why more males? Well, I think we know why. It's pretty obvious why. It is so bad. And speaking of the UK, I want you to take a listen to this clip from cardiologist Dr. Asim Malhotra, M-A-L-A. H-O-T-R, 
A on GBN, Great Britain uh, News there, um, where he talks about researchers are too scared to publish their findings. Uh, take a listen here. Um, somebody from a very prestigious British institution, cardiology department, researcher, a whistleblower, if you like, contacted me to say that the researchers in this department had found something similar within the coronary arteries linked to the vaccine, inflammation from imaging studies around the coronary arteries. And um, they had a meeting, and these researchers at the moment have decided they're not going to publish their findings because they are concerned about losing research money from the drug industry. Now, this person was very upset about it, um, and I wanted to obviously share this on GB News today. What I would say is that we then, knowing this information, which is very concerning, Stephen Gundry's paper in circulation, and also anecdotal evidence. I mean, I have a lot of interaction with the cardiology community across the UK, and anecdotally, I've been getting told by colleagues that they are seeing younger and younger people coming in with heart attacks. Now, what does this mean in terms of the data? We have to put the jigsaw for the pieces together. We know since July there's been almost 10,000 excess non-COVID deaths. Um, and most of those, or significant proportion of those, are being driven by circulatory disease, in other words, heart attack and stroke. There's been a 30% increase in people having, are dying at home. And often these are because of cardiac arrests. Of course, this is also something close to my heart because my own father is one of those statistics. He had a cardiac arrest at home July the 26th. So when these figure, these data, since this data has been collected. So where do we go from here? I think the signal is quite strong. I personally um, think that this needs investigating. So I think the Joint Committee of Vaccines and Immunization should absolutely investigate this. Um, I think that the researchers... I really hope that they take a look in the mirror and realize the ones from where this whistleblower's come from. So you heard that. People don't want to publish their findings because they're concerned about losing their research money. Okay? The scope of the cardio issues is likely utterly insane. Okay? But this is why you're not seeing simple, cheap studies They're not that expensive to do. It's not genetic sequencing. And I want to share some of that with you um, in a moment. But first, this next segment on cardiac health is sponsored by Patriot Mobile. Almost every day we hear about another major corporation that has gone woke, tormented their employees with leftist propaganda. And now we have T-Mobile censoring text messages they don't like. That's why I'm a proud supporter of Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative cell phone provider. They offer the same nationwide coverage as the major carriers. It's very rare that you could have a vital good or service not run by the cartel that you're able to use as an alternative because usually they're just very small and clunky. But you know you, you get even better because you get a U.S.-based customer service team where they actually speak English. Plus, rather than donating to, to garbage, they donate to causes fighting for life and uh, veterans, first responders, go to patriotmobile.com slash CR or call 972-PATRIOT. Get free activation with offer code CR. Veterans and first responders will save even more switching today. Again, patriotmobile.com slash CR, patriotmobile.com slash CR or call 972-PATRIOT. It's time we support companies that support your values. So, One of the things people don't realize is it's not hard to study 
this stuff. Okay? One way would do randomized cardiac MRIs on just, you know, a sample of, you know, take 15 to 20-year-old males, do a sample of about, you know, a few hundred of them, and follow up. Okay, but cardiac MRIs are kind of expensive, but you would think, like, you know, the whole world's health is dependent upon it. We've spent trillions of dollars. We could afford that. But there's something more. You could check troponin levels, okay? And I, I wanted to get, get to you, get, get to this um, very important here, very important from a document that has been released recently. And thanks to ICANN, okay, this is Dell Big Tree's organization. He's doing a great job. So we have documents coming out from the court order, but we also have FOIA emails coming out. And there, this is the informed consent document from Pfizer. And there's a lot of interesting things on it. On page five, they note that myocarditis could be as low as one in 1,000. So they started off, oh, it's six in a million, it's one in 50,000, it's one in 10,000. But they actually admit it's down to one in 1,000. Now, if they admit that, you know it's a lot more. I mean, I will tell you, I, I know um, my sister checked with her pediatrician, several others, uh, that, uh, other people I know, in their own sample of just teenage males, they don't have a thousand and they have several cases in their practice. I would say like it's, you know, at, at the one in a thousand is probably the general rate and for young males, probably one in a hundred. But what is that one in a hundred? What is that one in a hundred? That is the acute myocarditis that you pretty much see right away. Okay? But there's another question about subclinical myocarditis. And do you know who asked that question? The FDA asked that question. If you go into commodities approval documents, there's a page on it, and there's a link there for different reviews and approvals, and you click on that, and it will give you a zip file. And one of those documents is the Pharmacovigilance Plan Review Addendum. There's two of them. One of them is the addendum. That's the one you want for community. On page three to four, the FDA conceded the following. Incidents of subclinical myocarditis and potential long-term sequelae following community are unknown. Oh. So you just gave it full approval, not just EUA, and it's, and it's unknown. And they basically talk about these are some of the demands they make of Pfizer. Community, whatever, same deal, except when they don't want it to be the same. And one of them is they want them to do a subclinical study. Okay, th th this was in August, seven months ago, eight months ago. You would think by now, I mean, we, it has been 13, 14 months since at least the public has known about the myocarditis issues. And there still has not been a study. Not, oh, you know, let's try to find people who have been diagnosed with it, but proactively taking samples of people after they got the shot and following them up with markers like troponin levels. 
they won't do that. And that was suggested by the FDA. And they note that, you know, Pfizer is adverse to it because they don't like the definition of subclinical. Okay, so who's boss here? So they asked them to do this to this day in April 2022. You have athletes dropping left and right everywhere. And they don't have answers other than since then they've approved it for 5 to 11-year-olds. And now soon are going to head to babies and toddlers. But here's the kicker. In that document, they note that a previous study on a smallpox vaccine, you know, some of them have not been great. I don't know which one it is, but they, they cite a study there, suggested an incidence of possible sub, subclinical myocarditis based on cardiac troponin T elevations. So that's how you would discover it. 60 times higher than the incident rate of overt clinical myocarditis. 60 times higher. So folks, let's take their rate of one in a thousand for, you know, the most common demographic, the demographic that it hits hardest. I would say it's likely going to be much worse than that. But let's take their number. One in 60 would bring down the subclinical myocarditis rate to as low as 1 in 17 individuals. Now, folks, I ain't a doctor here. I'm not a cardiac specialist. I don't know. But it could be you could have subclinical for the rest of your life and it won't won't cause you problems. But something tells me that if you have subclinical heart inflammation, it's likely a ticking time bomb. And it's just a matter of time, depending on your health, your age, your status, and your, you know, just activity, your cardio activity, when it's going to come out. And to me, this makes sense why we're seeing all these people drop much later now. And again, if you look at the myocarditis VAERS reporting rates as of March 25th, we're at 57% already of the VAERS reports of the entire 2021 So that's something like a 2.45, almost two and a half times quicker growth. The rate of reporting so far in 2022 for myocarditis and VAERS is almost two and a half times greater than last year, even though the uptake, especially for that age group, the last few months, January, February, March, has got to be much less, right? It's trickled down. The only people really getting shots now are the seniors that have been brainwashed into getting endless boosters. But your 15, 20, 25-year-old male, if they were forced to get it from the mandates, that was more than, you know, second half of last year. And if they wanted to get it voluntarily, they would have gotten it. And there aren't too many getting boosters. So what's up with that? And to me, the only logical explanation is that the reports we saw last year were just the ones that they could trace back within the first week or two of the acute myocarditis. But so many more really had it, but they never experienced symptoms that made them, you know, go to a doctor or like clinical level. And then suddenly now, it's biting them before they get a chance to even catch their breath, literally. In that same FDA 
addendum, the reviewers flatly stated, quote, based on a review of available data, there are known risks for myocarditis and pericarditis and an unexpected serious risk, an unexpected serious risk of subclinical myocarditis, which warrant PMR safety studies to assess those serious risks. Folks, this is, this is worse than Joseph Mengele. You're admitting it. It's right there. And nonetheless, they push it on a group of people that don't need a vaccine, and the vaccine is outdated and doesn't work and causes 50 million other problems and has negative efficacy. But they're the most at risk, that demographic, for what they call known risks for myocarditis and pericarditis and unexpected serious risk for subclinical myocarditis. See, in my mind, subclinical is not less severe. It's just delayed time. It's more of a time thing. So indeed, there is a study. Community has filed on clinicaltrials.gov. There is a study of subclinical myocarditis. It's due to be completed July 2023. (laughs) There you have it, folks. We are lab rats. Okay? But there's a lot of other things I did want to get to today, but we did want to get to our guest to discuss how to live in a world where we're lab rats. Uh, Our interview segment is sponsored by Patriot Academy. If you've been paying attention to the increased crime in your area, you'll see that more now than ever, you need to defend yourself by carrying. If you are not carrying in a right-to-carry state, you are dumb. I'm sorry. Um, But then again, there are a lot of people that do have carrier's licenses and honestly don't know how to comfortably draw a gun from a holster and win a gunfight. Okay? Um, That's a a fact. Very few people have gotten that training. Well, Patriot Academy is offering their next constitutional defense course out in Raton, Nevada at the NRA Whittington Center in Colfax County, New Mexico, May 22nd, five-day course. You don't need any training beforehand, so it could be anyone's family-oriented. I will be there, so you'll meet me, other people from this audience. You'll learn your handgun manipulation, marksmanship skills, safety awareness, um, and then we study the Constitution at night, courtesy of Rick Green. I'll be speaking there as well. You don't want to miss this early summer vacation. Again, five-day course starting May 22nd to May 26th. So I need you guys to go to patriotacademy.com slash Daniel. It's patriotacademy.com slash Daniel to register today. Spots are limited. So don't wait until till the end. And also make sure you do it early enough so you can book your ticket before the prices go up more. So, folks, one of the most exciting aspects of this program, really the past two years, is that we've brought you some of the best scientific medical voices that are also the bravest and most courageous people that have stood against the narrative, risked their careers, they've treated patients, they've saved lives. And I pretty much brought to you a good number of the Patriot doctors. Every once in a while, I discover new ones. And then recently I was thinking, man, there's there's one that I've known about for so long I've never had on. And she has really been a pioneer in COVID treatment. And that's Dr. Elizabeth Lee Valit, spelled V-L-I-E-T. She's been a pioneer in preventative medicine. 
and she's been practicing independent of this entire insurance cartel, um, raising questions about the government medical monopoly since before I was in diapers. She is the past director <laughs> of the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons, and um, she's now the president of Truth for Health Foundation. You want to check that out at truthforhealth.org, where she is doing a number of things to help with COVID treatment, uh, vaccine injury detection, reporting, and treatment, and so much more, even some legal help. So there is so much to cover. Dr. Valit, thanks so much for joining us here at Blaze Media. <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. It's a pleasure to be with you. I've followed your work and interesting to know you'd followed mine. Yes, I resigned from all insurance contracts one year after I started my private practice. It was 1986. I resigned from all of them so that I could only answer to God and my patients. And that's what I've done my whole career and really focused on patient advocacy and that's why I reactivated Truth for Health Foundation in 2021 to do just that. We were seeing the complications with the vaccine. We were seeing the lack of access to early treatment. We were seeing constitutional rights being violated. And Truth for Health is tackling all of those fronts with major actions, not just disseminating information as, as some have have thought we just launched and you are only the second major national person who has been included in this announcement because we haven't done our press conference yet we just launched the citizens vaccine injury reporting system that is doing the job the cdc was supposed to do now, think about this, Daniel, because we are a very small organization. We are totally supported by donors, the physicians and scientists working with me and myself are all volunteers. We do not take any compensation from the donations that come in. We put them all to use on these initiatives. And so it's rather ironic that a small band of warriors and public donations are doing what a multi-billion dollar government agency is supposed to do. But we, we have launched this. It is the opposite of the difficulty of using VAERS. VAERS, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, the CDC, has done that's been known to be seriously flawed in, for years and very difficult to use. In fact, I, I think they deliberately made it difficult to discourage reporting adverse events on vaccines, and even more so with COVID, because they put up warnings of fines and imprisonment if you file a false claim. And so it's designed to intimidate people. Sure. And especially a layman, there's a lot of medical questions. What I like about your form here is it's thorough enough to fully investigate uh, the nature of the injury, but it's it's not daunting. It's it's you know maybe five to ten minutes to fill it out. I looked it up last night. I encouraged my my sister to to fill it out because she was injured. So so folks, truthforhealth.org. I know a lot of you are sending me emails with all sorts of syndromes you're seeing, 
and whether it's you, your loved one, anyone you know, let them know about this because this will allow the doctors here, and there's many of them that we've had on the show, like Dr. McCullough, um, Paul Alexander, we're going to have him on soon. We've you know missed him, uh, but we'll hopefully have him on next week. Uh, uh, Dr. Stricker we've had on early on. A lot of really good doctors will be able to take this information and um, you know, this is not just to use as a talking point. Hey, buddy, the vaccine's even worse than you guys make it out to be. It is. But what do you want to do with this information? Well, what we are doing with it is, and all of those people you just mentioned are on our volunteer advisory council. And we will be accessing their expertise to analyze the data, medicine, Science and epidemiology will be coming together to analyze the data on these reports, and we will be doing citizens' vaccine safety reports, as I committed to do in our press conference in late 2021. We did a whole press conference on vaccine injury then, and I committed that we would create a citizens' reporting system and we would report to the public. In addition to that, we have vaccine injury treatment resources on our website. I have shared with the public my own list of all the diagnostic, well, not exhaustive, but most of the diagnostic laboratory tests that I've been doing for my patients for many years, but then adding to that as an integrated approach to evaluating multi-organ systems for people, I have added the inflammatory markers that are more specific for the injuries we're seeing with the COVID shots. And that way, this is up there as an educational handout under vaccine injury resources. People can print that list talk with their doctors and request those tests be ordered if they're having problems in any of the organ systems affected. And these COVID shots cause adverse events throughout the body, brain, heart, lungs, eyes, the uh, the, um, GI tract, ovaries, testicles, muscles, and immune system and general symptoms like severe fatigue. So there are, we, we very carefully covered all of the organ systems in the questionnaire and my laboratory tests that I have used for many years are designed to assess the endocrine system, metabolic factors and inflammatory markers and other specialty tests. That way, if, and if someone's doctor does not do the test or doesn't want to do these additional labs, then people need to know you can go online to some of the self-service laboratory Mm -hmm. services. There's request a test, for example. You can go online and pay with a credit card and select these tests and order them yourself and go to the clinical laboratory and have the blood drawn. You, You really don't have to have a physician order these tests, although you should have a, um, a COVID literate physician discuss the results with you. Not all physicians understand 
the illness or the treatments, and they are dismissing the vaccine injury is not related to the vaccine. I've been treating vaccine injury in my own patients who went ahead and got the shot since the beginning of the shots rollout. I was treating COVID early in March 2020. So, no, you are. You are. And I encourage everyone, again, go to truthforhealth.org. Check out your um, COVID treatment guideline where you explain the progression, the pathophysiology of it, and the appropriate treatment. Again, I mean, it, it's all the resources for which, after spending $5.8 trillion on the pandemic uh, from congressional appropriations and everything that the Federal Reserve has done, this was the number one thing, just treating and they failed to do it. They're still working on another supplemental bill to spend more money on Pfizer and Merck and Moderna and all their stuff that causes more syndromes and nothing on detecting, diagnosing and treating. So you got it all there. Could you give us a sense of some of the trends? Um, what are some of the trends that you've been seeing? Um, we know a lot of the short term, but now we're already, you know, 12 to 15 months out from some of the first tranche of jabbed people, are you starting to see some different things perk up more midterm, long-term? Yes. In fact, it's very alarming because it's clear that these experimental COVID shots are disrupting the normal immune response and the normal immune system capability to adequately defend us against infections and and cancers as well. We knew early on, and I'm sure Dr. Stricker has been on your show, who has talked about the the fact that these COVID shots turn off the P53 tumor suppressor gene. And if you are turning off one of the major genes that helps stop tumors, cancers from developing, then obviously you're more at risk for cancer. There are other ways that these COVID shots interrupt with interrupt our normal cancer surveillance aspects of the immune response. And what we're seeing is a, a dramatic rise in cancers, both existing cancers that were in remission are coming back and out of control. And we are seeing new cancers, aggressive cancers arising. I'm seeing, and I'm checking, it's on the lab test to show some of the things I'm doing, but I'm, I'm looking at antibodies to other viral syndromes and atypical bacteria. For example, we're seeing more of these atypical infections. People who've been vaccinated have COVID for sure, I'm treating sicker people with COVID in 2021 and 2022 among the vaccinated people than I treated in my beginning of 2020. And in all of 2020, and even in 2021 and 2022, with sicker people after the vaccine, I still, by starting early treatment, I've not had any patient go to the hospital and I've not had any patient die. The key is early treatment. I want to mention something really important, Daniel. Mm -hmm. There's a big push on right now, people going to a diagnostic uh, resource and getting a a test for COVID. As soon as that test comes back positive, they're pushing the new antivirals by Merck and Pfizer. Yeah, Pfizer's Paxlovid, yep. Well, yeah, and and, uh, Molnupiravir, too. Both of those have severe adverse effects. Both of them 
are mutagenic, which means they can cause mutations. Both of them are teratogenic, which means they damage babies in in pregnant women. And the foundation and review of the majority of our medical and scientific advisors, we have reviewed the studies, the data, the side effects, the package inserts very carefully. We have a position statement on our website and we do not recommend those. They have not been adequately tested. They are emergency use authorization. They have severe side effects. All of the older medicines we were using for treatment from the get-go in COVID are safer. They have longer track records. They are cheap. They are accessible, and they work. Now, many of the vaccine-injured patients can we can use some of those same medicines and here's the reason for your listeners to understand common sense spike protein in the covid illness was one of the major factors causing inflammation and blood clotting and all the medicines for early treatment work well against that the vaccine triggers your body to make uncontrolled amounts of the spike proteins that cause inflammation and blood clotting, micro blood clotting. Then you have the lipid nanoparticle coating in the COVID shots that's helping to deliver the mRNA, DNA into our cells so that the cells are triggered to make the spike protein. So the COVID shots have two, at least two, ways of causing inflammation and micro blood clotting. So it's common sense that the same medicines that worked against COVID and the spike protein damage in the illness are helping the vaccine injured patient. And that's playing out in my clinical practice. I'm treating patients all the time and they are, when they have vaccine injuries, I am using some of the same medicines we used to early treatment for COVID and it's working. They're getting better. So, and then we have a guide coming out with even more, avenues to treat vaccine injury that'll be out next week with our press conference on all this wow so this is really a one-stop shop and obviously we have shifted more towards treating the injection injury but in terms of the virus itself you know i was the busiest fielding calls and emails from people i would say july august because i would have many doctors like you on the show and people are desperate for treatment anyone i would have on their office got flooded and you know five to seven days after realizing they had it so many people particularly with what they called delta at the time they were seeing their blood oxygen levels drop now recently last couple of months i have not heard much of that what are you seeing clinically among those that have what looks like covid well First of all, I think people finally are more aware of early treatment options, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, budesonide, aspirin, vitamin D, zinc, all of the core elements of the early treatment and aspirin to prevent blood clots and then anticoagulants if D-dimer is elevated. I think the public is much more aware of all of that. I think many people have taken our advice, the frontline doctors collectively, all of us have been saying, get your supplements on hand at home, make arrangements to get your medication kit there in case you get sick. 
I think they're doing that. I think people are more attentive to vitamin D and zinc and vitamin C, magnesium, the B vitamins and aspirin perhaps than they were before. And I also think that one of the issues is that that's important and helpful is that the Omicron variant was much less um, virulent in the sense of severe symptoms compared to Delta and early COVID. And if you get on it quickly, you can even with quercetin, vitamin D, zinc, aspirin, um, N-acetylcysteine, and the I'm missing one. Um, did I say aspirin? Anyway, you can the core elements of supplements you can buy at natural grocers or health food stores or sure. pharmacies or online. Vitamin Shop Online has most of what we're using. You can actually stop Omicron pretty quickly if you get on it quickly with all of those supplements. No, and we've definitely succeeded in that. Um, so what about the people who did get the shots? You said they're getting sicker. So so they, what are they, they sicker are. with? Is it the blood oxygen level dropping? Um, because the Omicron doesn't appear to be that pathogenic in the lungs, or is it something else? Well, it's something else. It, it's They are sicker with atypical overlaid bacterial infections. I'm having to use different antibiotics. Mm. The older Bactrim is working better against the vaccine-injured people who get COVID instead of, say, doxycycline or a Z-Pak that we used in 2020. We're needing, that's just one example, we're needing different antibiotics, we're needing more frequent, more intensive dosing with budesonide nebulizers. We're needing higher doses of vitamin C. We may be using hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin together quicker rather than staging it as we did in mm. 2020. It's, I'm, what I'm seeing is that it's taking a more aggressive approach faster with our combination of medications, and it's taking more of them together in people who've been vaccinated, especially after they've gotten a booster on top of it. And give you an example. I just evaluated one of my own patients yesterday. I didn't know she'd gotten the booster. And lo and behold, she only has one kidney because she had kidney cancer some years ago and was doing extraordinarily well. But they told her she had to get the vaccine. She started having problems. And then recently she got the booster. I was the only one who ordered the, the spike protein antibodies. And on that laboratory, the range of normal on, on that went up as high as 49. Her spike protein antibody levels were over 53,000 in the tighter measurement. It was, was that staggering. from prior infection? No, no, she is not. She did not have COVID. She had the two shots, COVID shots, and she had a booster. And now she has declining kidney function and her D-dimer was elevated. C-reactive oh. protein was elevated. She had, she'd already, before her appointment with me yesterday, she'd already seen a cardiologist needed a pacemaker, nobody connected her kidney declining function and her heart declining function 
to the vaccine. And I'm convinced it's it's connected because none of those problems existed before she got the vaccine. And I've worked I've followed this patient every six months for the last 20 years. I know her health history inside and out. It's unbelievable. There's no warning. There's no desire to find out how to detect this because you can't detect something that you deny exists. Um, We're we're going to have to do a part two on this at some point. But before we run out of time, so I contacted you yesterday because we talked about a little bit at the end of the show yesterday, this story from Fort Benning where a soldier appears to have been detained by military police for having spoken (laughs) out against the vaccine. And you were involved in that. Could you tell us a little bit about your involvement, the soldier, and how this came about and where things stand today? Actually... I was very involved with that. He is, and he didn't just appear to be detained. He was detained. And we, I was literally involved with that for seven hours on Monday night. And we didn't, we had to pull out all the stops and I got his attorney on the line. He is an army captain. He was not detained for speaking out against the vaccines. The original story that came out the next morning was incorrect. He was detained because he had gone in to the base office to file a criminal complaint against the commanding general for Fort Benning about abuse and Article 92 violations against younger female military officers. It had nothing to do with the vaccines. It was, uh, let me read you this. This is part, I have the criminal complaint. This army captain's on the Military Advisory Council for Truth for Health Foundation. And let me tell you, we come out swinging to defend our military officers and enlisted who are being abused like this. And he's one of our legal grant recipients. He had already been persecuted by the command on this base for advocating for informed consent and advocating against the unlawful order to mandate experimental vaccines. So we already were defending him, helping to defend him with a legal defense grant for the other actions command had taken against him last fall. So they were out, they were out for him. He, he went in to file the criminal complaint against the commanding general at Fort Benning. And, and here is one quote from the criminal complaint, which I'd like you to get on the record. The deliberate, this is quote from the criminal complaint, paragraph six, the deliberate targeting of young female officers in a student status under his command is sickening, shows a drastic departure from sound decision-making expected of any officer let alone one of the senior officers in the Army, and is a clear violation of multiple articles of the UCMJ. No young male officers receive this kind of, quote, special attention and treatment from this Major General. The UCMJ article that Major General has clearly violated, and I'm not saying his name, Include Article 92, failure to obey an order or regulation, Article 134, fraternization, Article 133, conduct unbecoming an officer and a gentleman. Each mentioned UCMJ violation is punishable by a court-martial and therefore meets the criteria under Rule 301, 302, and 303 of Chapter 3, Manual for Courts-Martial, 
2019, end quote. And they, it, when he went in to file that complaint, they detained him and commanded a behavioral health evaluation. The behavioral health, I, we have to clarify whether it was a social worker or psychologist or a physician assistant or a nurse practitioner. He was not a psychiatrist at that point. Was trying to frame him as in her questions, it was obvious that she was trying to frame him as a January 6th domestic terrorist. And she also said was bringing up points about the vaccine. And then he was escorted, military escort, to the emergency room of the base hospital to be detained, to be admitted to psychiatry on the grounds of danger to self or others. Now, I've worked with this Army captain closely for the last six months. He does not have a psychiatric disorder. He is clearly not a danger to himself and others. He has been extraordinarily responsible. In fact, I just did an interview with him on my radio show two weeks ago about the Army as an army whistleblower, he's under whistleblower protection. They violated that in detaining him unlawfully. And so when I learned at five o'clock Arizona time, what had happened, I started working on getting help for him because I knew, I knew what it meant medically and psychiatrically when they invoke that phrase, danger to self or others, it sets up the stage for forced medication of psychotropics and anti-agitation medicines, and that's a slippery slope to major impairment and inability to advocate for yourself. I've worked in those settings in the ER. I know exactly what's involved, and I know how quickly they can bring someone down in their ability to think and function. And so I knew we had little time. I pushed to get access to him. I was stonewalled initially by the nurse who would not arrange, in the, even though it's army regulations, that he had the right to speak with whomever he wanted. The civilian nurse was blocking that. I called a Navy commander who's involved on our military advisory council, got him involved. I discussed it with General McInerney, who's also on our military advisory council. And then I, I was able to reach the Army captain's attorney that we had helped facilitate for him through his legal defense grant, got him on the phone, and by the time we were able to reach the Army captain ourselves, we stayed on the phone with him as witnesses for four hours until we got this resolved, and the, I could not have done it only as a physician because it needed the strength of the lawyer telling the doctor in no uncertain terms, you are unlawfully imprisoning this patient and we can go after your civilian medical license. And this is, this was huge. They had weaponized psychiatry and I knew from things I've experienced earlier in my career in psychiatric settings in the ER, I knew that once they started forcible medication in a locked ward that it, he could be permanently damaged. I've actually testified as a plaintiff's witness in 
cases where over-medication with psychotropics caused permanent damage, and I was the expert in those cases. So I know this scenario very well, and I knew the danger he was in. And literally, they allowed him, with the attorney and I advocating on the phone with the ER people and keeping the Army captain, through it all, he kept his cool, he was very respectful, and I, I heard all of this, of course, firsthand, and he simply was saying, on what grounds are you keeping me? They couldn't answer. When we asked, they said, you have to talk, telling the lawyer and the doctor, you have to speak to command. And the lawyer says, then give us the phone number for the command. They wouldn't do that. So they would not give us access, us meaning David Wilson and myself. They would not give us access to command to speak to the people who were saying he needed to be detained. Finally, I think the the doctor saw the handwriting on the wall that this was an untenable situation. And the lawyer is saying he has the right to leave, and I am directing him as his attorney to leave the ER. I then said we can't let him leave by himself on a military base by himself when they're already trying to detain him and not have him have a phone because his phone battery had died. So I said, he can't leave until we get his wife there to be sure that he has someone to accompany him and be a witness if they try to detain him. I was very concerned with what had happened and how punitive there, this whole thing had been for him for months that we risked the fact that he could just disappear. So Lo and behold, he got no more with his family and his four children in the car because his wife had small children, including a, a six-month-old baby that she, she had no one to leave them with. So she put the, kid, the children in the car, went to the ER, texted me that she was there, and then we told the lawyer said, okay, it's time for you to just quietly walk out the door. And he did as he was told by his attorney lawfully and got in the car in three blocks. They got three blocks before the MPs, three MPs had pulled them over. And the whole thing starts again. By the time half an hour into that detention, the MPs were trying to have him get out of the car for them to take him to the psych ward on command orders. After the psychiatrist in the afternoon had said he didn't have a psychiatric disorder and the ER doctor didn't want to get involved and hadn't evaluated him and we kept pushing for that and he was it was a difficult situation with the ER doctor and so the the doctors that were there had had not said he had a psychiatric disorder but command was still pushing for the MPs to take him to the psych ward. And so David Wilson, the attorney, was very emphatic. And finally, I said, Captain, get the MPs to come around to the side of the car so that they can hear the attorney speak to them and cite the law. So he did. And finally, after over an hour of detention by the 
MPs at the side of the road between two and three o'clock in the morning with the children terrified in the car and screaming and crying because they're frightened and it's the middle of the night. In spite of all of that, the captain was calm and respectful and very matter of fact in everything he said. I don't know how his wife was holding it together with the children being so frightened and she's frightened for her husband and frightened for herself and not knowing what's going to happen to them. He was supposed to be on leave and they weren't letting him leave. Finally, with the attorney's strong legal intervention, I mean, God bless David Wilson for being there with me because I had to have an attorney. There couldn't be just a medical intervention at that point because there were so many legal violations. So finally, the MPs came to the window and said, you're free to go, sir. And at 3.08 a.m. Eastern Time, April 5th, we got this Army captain and his family off that base, and he is on leave and hopefully spending some time with his family thanking the Lord for the fact that he is safe and away from this very dangerous situation. It was really alarming. And I'm here to tell you, when my profession of medicine, and I also have training in psychiatry, that's not what I practice. I haven't for probably 25 years, but my work is internal medicine-based preventive and climacteric medicine. But I've been in these situations in the early years of my career I know how serious they are. I know what the law is. I know what the rules are. I know the standards we have to meet. And let me tell you, when they are deciding to weaponize medicine and psychiatry against our military, this Truth for Health Foundation legal defense team and the donors, I hope, that will support us, we're coming out swinging on this. I will not stand by for this Stalinistic attack in, on my watch. And I'm putting everybody on notice. We are going to defend this with every legal resource in our armamentarium. And if there are listeners out there that that are willing to stand up and donate to help us, we're putting out major initiatives on defense of our military. Because if they go down and our military succeeds in totalitarian Stalinistic behavior, sending people to a psychiatric gulag like Stalin did, then all of us are at risk, and I'm going to go out fighting on that. I give you my word. And donors, step up. This is a public charity. We are volunteer physicians and scientists. We are not taking a dime of the donations that come in to pay us for our work. We are multifaceted, truly multifaceted, truthforhealth.org, where you could find out more and donate. It's 501c3. A legal help, the military, which is really what we've been focused on the last couple of weeks, and obviously early treatment, detection of vaccine injury, reporting of it, and treatment of it. Th- these are the most important issues of our time. Man, um, I wish I can go into this in more more depth, but you certainly gave a perspective that was not put out in the news. I was unaware of a lot of these facts. And again, when you have a military command that's now violating laws, uh, mandating uh, vaccines that are not fully approved— what other laws are they violating? And that's what's very concerning. And it and it demonstrates that the reason why there's such an obsession to push these shots and kick people out of the military, despite the fact that they're outdated, they don't work anymore, 
Um, there's no rationale, even if you don't think they're that dangerous. Clearly, the the kicking the good guys out of the military is not a bug, but a feature of the program, which is why they're tying in your political views, January 6th, the elections. They want to make sure that people like this captain are purged from the military and they're willing to weaponize anything. I mean, that is very, very dangerous. I'll give you the last word and then we got to sew up from here. Daniel, this is very dangerous. I have articles and podcasts and interviews with our military on our website, truthforhealth.org, under the name Dr. Lee for America radio show. I, I want people to understand exactly what you just said. And yes, it is bigger. They are weaponizing behavioral health against the service members who disagree with the narrative. And I want you to interview some of our military advisors and whistleblowers so they can give you firsthand reports. And we are collecting data on that. And we are going to have more on that to show just how widespread it is and how dangerous it is. This is even bigger than the unlawful order to mandate experimental shots. And there's articles on and podcasts on our website about that, truthforhealth.org. And that's truth, F-O-R, health.org. Thank you, Daniel. You're a hero in my book. I appreciate all you're doing, and thank you for giving me this time to Likewise. alert the public to all this. God bless you, and I know we'll have you back very soon. Wow, what a story there from Dr. Leva Leet, and this is someone with four decades worth of experience in the medical field, but she's really taking it all on, almost all of those buckets that we are focused on. Uh, certainly, if you have a vaccine injury you know anyone who does, report it there because this will help not just quantify and get the uh, scope of injury out, but also help uh, develop diagnostics and treatment, and it's kind of a one-stop shop. As far as the military, I I will just close with this. The last number of months has really got me thinking. Um, There's something much bigger, as she said, than just the vaccine mandate And just even kicking out the good guys from the military, the tranny agenda, purging Christians, purging conservatives, that's certainly a part of it. But is that a means to a bigger end? Uh, You know, until now, I've just been viewing it that, you know, they rot out everything, just like they rot out, you know, they first took over media and entertainment, and then they rotted out all the business CEOs and everything just because they want to take it over. And you got to purge the thinking people, the people with values. But when it comes to the military, there's a level above every other institution they rot out. What do they want to do with that? Is it just to neuter our ability to fight foreign wars, um, pay for play? Or is it that if they had all their psychopaths take over the military, which is, by the way, this Major General Donahue who commands Fort Benning, he's one of those guys— What are they going to do with that power? Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever thought? You know, I never would have imagined one day we could have martial law, but I don't think we need to imagine that anymore. Could the military then be co-opted into into being used for this purpose? Well, until now, the thought was, even if you would have some sort of a corrupt leadership— There would be too many layers that wouldn't go along with it. But what if you purge all those layers? I just want you guys to get thinking about that. 
Um, but we are way out of time here at this moment. Man, I have so much left in my stack here I wanted to get to. We'll save it for tomorrow. Let me know your comments, questions, concerns for Dr. Valid. As always, Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. Leave us a five-star rating at iTunes. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening. <laughs>